If you want to follow along, we're going to be continuing in our study of James. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James 3, 13 through 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Have you ever been in a situation where you think you're doing the right thing and then you find out you were doing it wrong the whole time? Anybody? Or am I the... Okay, good. (laughs) Got afraid. I wasn't seeing any heads nod. Um, This happened to me a while ago. I was roofing with my dad and, and I was getting to the point, I was really trying to convince him that I could do it on my own. I was really trying to convince him that I knew how to lay the shingles down and, and nail them into the roof and he could let me be and do the job by myself. I was really excited one day when, when he had me do that. He said, okay, you roof this section, I'm going to go get some materials. So I started roofing the section and man, I just, I thought I was doing a great job. And, and I was putting those shingles down exactly how I thought they were supposed to go. And I was putting nails in. And my goal was I was going to get this whole section done by the time my dad got back. And sure enough, I got that whole section done by the time my dad got back. And to this day, I'll never forget his face when he walked up that ladder. He didn't have to say anything. He just walked up the ladder and went... <sighs> and there was just a pause where where all of nature stopped, I think. I I think everything stopped and everyone knew I did the wrong thing. And he even asked, you know, that question, what are you doing? Which, by the way, if somebody in authority, especially your parent, asks you that question, don't try to give an answer. Just let them have their moment of despair. Let them have their moment of frustration. They'll come back around. My dad ended up coming back around. But in that moment, I knew I probably shouldn't be roofing all on my own. He probably shouldn't have left me to do this by myself. And here I had convinced myself that I knew how to roof perfectly fine by myself. And then in that moment, I proved I could not do that. Well, James is is kind of getting into this topic with wisdom. How do you know that you're wise? How do you know that you're actually living a wise life full of heavenly wisdom? And he opens up this question by saying, do you think yourself wise? Do, Do you consider yourself to be wise? And of course, that's a moment where you just pause for some self-reflection. And, and no doubt, James is probably thinking of maybe a few people that are in that church. He may be thinking of what he's heard from the church about some people that are causing troubles. Or it could very well be that James just knows where people can be at in their spiritual life. And so he's asking this question for self-reflection. Do you think... You're a wise Christian. Do you think you're following the guidance 
of the Holy Spirit. And what he lays out for us to test that is he lays out practical guidelines to test whether or not we're living out a wise life. And he opens up this section by talking about what we'll call earthly wisdom or wisdom from below. So that's not heavenly wisdom, that's wisdom from the earth. And what he says is, do you consider yourself wise if you do and you harbor jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, you're being arrogant and you're only fooling yourself. So, so there's the moment when somebody in authority says, do you think you're wise? And you say, ah, oh, yes, I do. And then they say, well, do you have jealousy and selfish ambition in your life? And you pause and say, wait a second, maybe I do have that. And James is pointing out, if you're harboring in your heart this selfish ambition and this jealousy, you're headed down the wrong path. Now let's break those two words down a little bit and just see what he means by it. Well, first of all, he says jealousy. Now we talked a little bit about this in in our youth lesson this morning. Sometimes people will misuse Scripture. And, And if you look back to the Old Testament, God says to his people, I am a jealous God. I want you. And so we're not talking about that kind of jealousy. That kind of jealousy is reserved for God or it's reserved for maybe a spouse that that loves their spouse enough that they wouldn't want their spouse to leave. That's what God is saying to his people. God says, you are my people and if you turn away from me to other gods, I'll be jealous because those other gods don't own you. I own you. I'm your God. I love you. I sacrifice for you. So when God says, I'm a jealous God, he says, you belong to me and I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay in my household. I want you to stay in my family. So that's a good jealousy that God has for us. He doesn't want to see us turn away to sin and evil. But the jealousy that James is talking about in chapter 3 here is a jealousy, and it's more like envy, where you want what somebody else has. It's not just you want what somebody else has in terms of goals in life, because sometimes you can look at what other people have, and that can sort of be like a boost in your confidence. You know what? I want to be where they're at in life, and I'm going to aim that for my goal. No, James is talking about a bitterness that can be in your heart when somebody else has something that you want. I'll give a quick example. When I was in college, I ended up living with a a few roommates off campus, and and I went to the store, and I decided I I was going to be frugal. Uh, Another word for that sometimes is just a cheapskate, but I'll call it frugal here. Um, I went and I picked out the, the cheapest beef patties that you could buy at the local store. And it even it said beef patty right on it, but it was missing that magic number. 100% beef patty. And when I got back, I looked at the ingredients, and the ingredient, it had beef in it. It was like, you know, 90-some percent, 60-some percent beef. And then the rest of it was soybean and a few other products that I won't tell you uh, were in there, but it was bad. It it was really bad. But I spent money on it, and and I didn't want to waste that money, and so I was just powering through those beef patties. And it was so difficult. And I remember the day that one of my friends, his mom dropped off groceries for him. And he got 100% ground beef. And I remember he made himself a burger in the kitchen and I could smell the 100% beef as I was eating my, I don't know, 60% beef patty. 
And I remember in that moment, and it seems silly looking back on it, but in that moment, there was jealousy getting harbored in my heart. You know, how dare he cook his food in front of me? How dare he not share his food with me? And it started to get to the point where I was being childish. I I was being resentful for no reason. I had to check myself. I had to step away from that and say, well, wait a second. You bought this. You don't have to eat it. You have a choice in life. James warns against that kind of bitterness in our life where we look at something somebody else has and we think we deserve it. And then we start to question that other person. And then we start to harbor in our heart bitterness and resentment against that person and what kind of life they're living. Do you, do you see the difference? Do you see this is the kind of jealousy that James warns against because uh, it creates a, a sense of divisiveness between you and other people. And he warns that if you have this kind of jealousy in your heart, if you're looking at other people's lives and you think that you deserve it and you begin to work against them spiritually, you're headed down the wrong path. You're headed down a very dangerous path in your spiritual life. And he says not only jealousy harbored in the heart, but selfish ambition. Now, selfish ambition, what he's talking about here is when you're thinking of yourself and not the Christian community that you worship in. When you come into the church, you're not just coming in with your own goals. You're coming in as part of a community that God has called into his kingdom. And so James warns against going into the church and having your own plan of action and your own plans for what you want to see this church accomplish. Guess what? It's not your church. It's God's church. God will call this church what he wants it to do. That's not your call. And so James warns against walking into the church and having your own plans for where you think the church should be headed. And James says what this starts to do is it starts to build up, again, that resentment in your heart, that bitterness in your heart that will lead you down the wrong path where you begin to work against other Christians. And that's not good for the Christian community. And so, so what's set up front is don't harbor jealousy or selfish ambition in your heart. If you do, this isn't wise. This is earthly wisdom. This is not spiritual And he says what comes from this is, is first of all, he specifies disorder. So a lack of peace in your own life. You begin to question God's calling on your own life. You you begin to fall into discord with other believers. You begin to work uh, through things all by yourself instead of bringing it to others to lift up to God in prayer. Do you see how that could work out with jealousy and bitterness and selfish ambition in your heart? all of a sudden it becomes just about you to the point that even when you're hurting, you make it all about you instead of bringing it to other Christians to help you. So James specifies that disorder or a lack of peace comes from jealousy and selfish ambition. But then he also says, and and I love this, he just generalizes it and says every evil thing So I have a feeling what was going on here is James was writing this letter and he was saying, well, what comes out of jealousy and selfish ambition? Well, disorder for sure. And then he was probably thinking of of all these evil things that take place and it got to the point where he thought, well, I only have so much room on this paper. I could be listing evil things all day. So then he just writes down the word, 
everything. Think of something evil, that comes from jealousy and selfish ambition. Think of something difficult that's happened in your life that's probably stemming from jealousy and selfish ambition. And so he specifies specifically disorder is going to come into your life, but then he even warns not just disorder, sin itself and evil itself will begin to manifest in your Christian life if you continue to harbor this in your heart. And he calls this earthly wisdom. He says, this isn't wisdom from above. This isn't what God has given you. God has given you something better. He says, this is earthly wisdom. And he calls earthly wisdom three things. The first is earthly. That's in the title. So James says, this kind of wisdom is, is not heavenly. It's not focused on the world that we're called to live in, the, the spiritual, the, the world of God's kingdom, this is focused on this earth, the here and now. And, and James says what he means by this is this is unspiritual. This is, this is about the here and the now and not what is to come. This is about what you see. This isn't about what God has planned for you. Do you see the difference? The, the wisdom that stems from jealousy and selfish ambition is focused just on this world. And C.S. Lewis warns against this kind of thinking. He says that he has found that, that most of the people that do good in this world are actually the ones that think the most of the next world. And he even says if you, if you aim for heaven, earth will be thrown in the mix. But if you aim only for earth, you'll get neither heaven nor earth. The point being, our eyes need to be focused on heaven and the kingdom to come, and earthly wisdom doesn't allow you to do that. It only calls you or allows you to focus on this world, this earth, right now, and you miss out on the kingdom of heaven. Well, James also says that this is natural, or another way of putting it, this is unspiritual. This is absent from the leading of God himself. And very simply, what he means by that is you begin to get so focused. Remember, earlier we talked about how you have disorder. You, you aren't able to connect with other Christians in the community. What's worse than that, you'll start to not be able to connect with God. You, you'll start to stop going to God and asking him for his leading in your life, and you begin to just focus on your own leading. And James warns this unspiritual thinking is going to create all sorts of evil things because you're not just focused on God, you're not focused on the kingdom, you're focused on this world, and you're focused on yourself. You are missing out on all of the riches of heaven that God is promising you when you harbor jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. But what's even worse than missing out on the kingdom of heaven, being unspiritual, you all of a sudden begin to receive demonic attacks. And James warns that if you go down this path, the enemy will find ways to attack you. Now, the enemy is going to attack you no matter what. We will not, never get to a point in our spiritual life where the enemy doesn't attack us. The rest of our lives, the enemy is going to come and tempt us. But if you go down the path of earthly wisdom, you will not have the grace of God helping you during those spiritual attacks. 
you will begin to be focused so much on earthly things that when the enemy comes in, you may even confuse his voice for the voice of God. And James warns, if you keep this bitterness in your heart, you are headed down a path not only of sin, but you're headed down a path of death. And Jesus even, even tells us this in, in Matthew, I, I believe it's Matthew chapter 16, or excuse me, Ma- Matthew chapter 15, where he says, those who want to keep their life will ultimately lose it, but those who give up their life for my sake will be able to keep it, and they'll gain life. And so this is a teaching from Jesus that says, if you're all about keeping your own life, your own goals, your own selfish ambitions, and you're okay with being jealous of other people's stuff, you're going to end up losing the life that you have and missing out on the life that God has for you. But if you're willing to give that up and you're willing to stay away from it, God has something incredible for you. And thankfully, what we have in this passage is James tells us, first of all, uh, the point that he's making is, is that your actions come from your heart. So your actions are actually an outpouring of what's inside your heart. And remember what he said earlier, that if you have heavenly wisdom, you're going you're gonna, to uh, perform this heavenly wisdom with good deeds. That's going to be within your heart. But if you have this jealousy and selfish ambition, what's within the heart is going to start to pour out. And again, it creates the disorder in every evil thing. So what do we do with this? How do we go about our Christian lives if we do have jealousy and selfish ambition in our heart? Well, first of all, James makes it plainly obvious that you still have a choice in your life. Hope is not lost because he says, do not do this. If it were in your heart and it stayed in your heart, he probably wouldn't tell you not to do it. But he says, do not harbor jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. That means that you can still make things right with God and you can still go down the right path. Wherever you're at in your life, you can give that sin up to God. God is calling you today to give that up, to let him know that you want to be forgiven, you want to be cleansed, and you want to move on in the spiritual life with him. So you still have a choice. But then also he says, there's not just earthly wisdom, but there is heavenly wisdom, and it is available to you. So this is what we leave with here today. First of all, heavenly wisdom is pure. And James says, first of all, meaning this is the very first thing that you run into with heavenly wisdom, you have to have a right relationship with God. You have to be in communion and fellowship with him. What that means is, if you are harboring anything in your heart, you need to give that to the Lord. You need to confess that to him. You need to tell him what is in your heart and ask him to forgive you of it, and he will forgive you, he will cleanse you of it, and he will put you on the right track. And let me tell you, there there is no greater feeling than when you know you're in a right relationship with God. Because when you're not in a right relationship with God, remember, the jealousy and selfish ambition, that creates disorder in every evil thing. Pretty soon, you don't want to speak to God because you begin to get afraid of him because you have sin in your life. But the great thing is, if you confess that sin, you you get put back into a right relationship with the Lord, and he begins to lead you. 
So James says, up front, make your relationship right with God. Speak to him today about whatever sin may be harboring in your heart. That is the wise thing to do. The second is to be peaceable. That simply means not only do you live in a right relationship with God, but you live in a right relationship with other people. Make sure that you're not only working with God, but you're working with others within the church. And of course, that's where selfish ambition can get in the way. If you have selfish ambition, you're probably not going to work well with others because you're only going to see other people as a tool to get to the next step in your life. And you may look at other people and say, well, I have no need for them, so I'm not going to associate, but I have a need for this guy. Let me use him until I'm done, and then I can move on. Do you see the problem in that kind of Christian community? Just using one another, and not just using one another, but leaving some people out and not even associating with them because you don't think they're useful. How wrong is that? But if you're in a right relationship with God and, and, and you're, you're cleansed by him and forgiven by him, you can begin to make a right relationship with other people. My wife and I used to license foster homes. And, and there was one family, and, and you ever just meet that family where it's like, wow, this is the perfect family. I, I met one of those families. They had adopted six different kids from six different families and then felt like God was calling them to adopt a seventh. It's like, oh my goodness, I only have three and I don't want any more. But they, but they just, they, they were an amazing family and I was talking with them about their life and, and they had a pretty difficult life growing up. So they knew what it was like to have a difficult life. And, and when I asked them, well, how do you cope with having that difficult life? He made this point. He said, I learned early on to move towards people that are hurting. He said, I have found that when people are hurting, they will often act out to others. And so I try to move into a close relationship with them to let them know they're not alone. That is making peace with people. That is looking at others and being in a right relationship. The next is being gentle. Uh, another way of putting this one is to be kind or tolerant. And we're not talking about the tolerance that the world uses today. When the world talks about being tolerant, they're talking about being approving of other people's lives. You don't have to be approving of other people's lives if it's not the right life. But within this Christian community, guess what? We're all different. And guess what? Not all of us are perfect including me. I don't know if you knew that. I'm going to do some things that bother you. But if you're kind and gentle, if you're living this wise life, you'll be tolerant of me and I'll greatly appreciate that. And the truth goes for anybody within this church, being tolerant with one another, being gentle with one another, not letting other people bother us, but learning how to live together despite our differences. The next is to be reasonable. Uh, th this one, I think, is very important for this reason. You are not always right. I'm looking around and making sure that nobody's looking to the person next to them. Because if you're looking to the person next to you, I don't think you heard my words correctly. You are not always right. 
you will get things wrong. You will misunderstand something. And you need to make room for correction. You need to be reasonable enough that if you are wrong, anybody in the church can approach you and let you know where you're wrong. And of course, if we approach anybody to let them know they're wrong about something, we need to do so with gentleness. We need to do so with an understanding of where they're at and why they may have misunderstood something. We also need to do it with peace. We need to be in a right relationship with them. But as far as you're concerned, if somebody approaches you to correct you, you need to be reasonable. You need to be approachable. You need to be in a position where somebody else can correct you so that you can be on the right path, so that you can be in a right relationship. Being reasonable is very important because the people who aren't reasonable, uh, sometimes people are afraid of them. And sometimes people don't want to correct them. And if they're wrong, they need correction. If I'm wrong, I need correction. I need to be reasonable. I need to make sure that if somebody approaches me, I will listen to what they have to say. The next one is full of mercy. This one sort of goes hand in hand with good fruit. So I'm going to do those two together. Full of mercy and good fruits. We actually talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about what it means to have an active faith, uh, what it means to have faith that, that has an outpouring of good deeds. So earlier in, in the letter that James writes, he says, faith without works is dead. If you have faith, you need to be active in that faith and do good works. And so when James says that you need to be full of mercy and demonstrate good fruits, what he's saying is if you see a need within this Christian community or even outside of this Christian community, be full of mercy. Try to understand where that person is at. Try to give people the benefit of the doubt and then try to help them in the area of need that they need help in. I'll give one example, and, and I was debating if I wanted to give this example because I've already told an embarrassing story about myself, and I'll tell another one. Um, a few years ago, uh, we were traveling, and I had to back up in, in, a, in a parking lot, and I backed up into somebody else's truck. And, you know, oh, man, you know, they, they backed up. And, I, you know, you're sitting there thinking, okay, do I try to go in and find them? Do I put a car? Do I give them my contacts? So I thought, well, I'll go back in. I need to find the person. And, and of course, the person whose truck it was, you know, they're, they're one of those guys like seven foot tall, 500 pounds, full of muscle, you know. And not only that, pretty impatient, very upset that I ran into his truck. And I was as apologetic as I could be. He was very angry with me. I think he was ready to beat me up. It was to the point I might not even be here today. So I was trying to deal with him, and I was getting frustrated with how he was treating me, and it was amazing. My wife, Emily, if you've ever met her, she's the most gentle person I've ever met. She doesn't pick a fight, and she's shorter than I am, so she was way shorter than this guy, and it was just amazing. I just went back to our car, and I said, can you go talk to him? I'm going to go call our insurance. He was a different person. I get back over there, and he's telling her his life story. He's telling her how his, his son was diagnosed with diabetes just a few weeks ago, and he's been a wreck about it, and he doesn't know what to do. And, and of course, Emily is just, you know, she's jumping right in there. Oh, well, Josh's mom has diabetes. You should ask him. I don't want to talk to this guy. 
But all of a sudden, I'm talking to him about his son's diabetes. He's showing me his phone and how they keep track of his sugar. He brings me in and introduces me to the family. This guy was ready to beat me up five minutes ago, but Emily jumped in with, with, with mercy, with gentleness. She saw that there was a problem behind the problem. The problem wasn't that I ran into his truck. The problem was that he was going through a difficult time. That's what it means to be full of mercy. That, that's what it means to have these good deeds, to see that somebody may be impatient with you. Somebody may have uh, a hard time communicating, but it may be because they're going through difficulty in their own life and they're not quite sure if they can speak up about it. Be full of mercy. Try to notice when somebody needs to be talked to, but in a gentle way, and offer them a lending ear to talk about what's going on in their life. And then, and then, if you're able to, see what you can do to help. See what you can do to be there for them. The final two here, uh, unwavering. This one is really interesting. Unwavering, it means without partiality or without respect to persons. And James already talked about that earlier in his letter in chapter 1. And, and what that simply means, what he simply means by that is be unwavering. Don't worry about who walks into the church. You, you shouldn't be seeing who walks into the church and then judging which person you're going to say hi to based on how they look or how they appear. Um, one of the questions is, one of, actually one of my favorite questions, when I tell people that I'm a pastor and I invite them to our church, at least half the time they'll inevitably show me their arm and there's usually like a big tattoo. And, and, they'll, and I've had this so many times. People will sincerely ask, can I come in with this or do I need to cover it up? And I love that question because I just say, well, I don't care. And if anybody in our church cares, you just talk to me and, and we'll be fine. We're not going to stop you at the door and say, you can't come into our church because you look a certain way. We're going to invite you in. And James, James says, this is the wise thing to do. This is wisdom that comes down from heaven. You don't, you don't show partiality. You don't, you don't keep some groups out and allow some groups in. All people are called by God to be in this church we're going to let them be in this church. And then finally, without hypocrisy. Very simply, what this one means is live your Christian life in, in sincerity. Uh, we use that word hypocrisy a lot, I, I think, in our culture today. And, and in some cases, it's oftentimes used against Christians. What hypocrisy means is if you're saying one thing but doing another, very simple example. If I got up here and told you how smoking was bad, and then you saw me smoking outside, that would be hypocrisy. By the way, smoking is bad, and I will not be smoking outside. But when you live a Christian life, you need to live out what you actually preach. And you need to live it out with sincerity. It's very important because people in this community will notice when you're not being sincere. And they'll notice when you're preaching one thing and living out another. And the difficult part is sometimes communities will generalize to the whole church. They'll see one person in the church doing one thing when the church is preaching another. That, of course, takes a different kind of conversation where we talk about spiritual maturity and we talk about correction. 
But it's important in your life, the people that you associate with, the people that you work with, the friends that you have in this community, when you say something, you need to live it out. And so James talks about these two kinds of wisdom. Which one are you going to follow? Which one are you going to go towards? You can go down the wisdom of je- or the, the path of earthly wisdom, which is full of jealousy and selfish ambition, which leads to disorder and all kinds of evil things, which is of this world, uh, which is unspiritual and ultimately leads to demonic attacks. Or you can be in a right relationship with God and go down the path of heavenly wisdom where God guards your heart. I think you know which path to choose. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for this time that we're able to come in and worship. And as we leave this place, Lord, we pray that if there is anything that we need to confess to you, that we would, we would know it in this moment and we would confess it in this moment. Lord, if there is any jealousy or selfish ambition in our heart, We pray that you would call that out, that we would lay it before you, and we would hand it off to you. And what's more, God, is we pray for your heavenly wisdom to abound in our lives. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be the one leading us in everything that we say and do as we go out into this world and proclaim the gospel. Amen.